0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode.
1: But right now, what we do majorly is we show women in communities how to use their local resources and local waste for livelihoods. We don't go outside communities to empower communities. We use what communities do have to show them the possibilities of what they can do and how we can transform their dignity and their identity.
2: Warning, this episode may contain themes some listeners may find distressing. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, you can call Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. If you are in another country other than Australia, please call your emergency services.
0: Welcome to ImpactBoom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories links and other great content at impactboom.org follow us on facebook or twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on itunes
2: thanks for listening to episode 417 of impact boom my name's sarah and i'm passionate about visioning empowering and contributing to initiatives and enterprises causing positive Transformation globally and locally. And today we're speaking with Tony Joy, the founder and director of Durian. With nearly a decade of actively working in social enterprise, Tony Joy is passionate about rural development. As the founder of Durian, she supports marginalized groups such as rural people, especially women and girls in Nigeria, to lead better lives. A recipient of multiple awards, Tony is desirous of engaging women in communities to lead in the process of change as they create their rural communities of the future. One that is circular, creative and empowered by rural women. She's also a leader in the conversation on meaningful development for rural communities. On today's episode, we'll discuss how tony and her team are equipping women in rural communities with the skills and perspectives they need to be self-sufficient as well as the powerful flow on benefits for communities as they transform local waste and resources into livelihoods tony it is a joy to have you here thank you thanks for the invitation and thanks for having me you're welcome can you please start off by sharing a little bit about your background and what's led to where you are now.
1: Oh, thank you. So I have a pretty much a roller coaster of a story. That's the way I'll put it. Because of different experiences have led to me being the person I am today. Starting off by losing my dad when I was 12. Growing up in a very simple home, I was pretty much attached to my father. So losing him at 12 meant that I've lost so many things and everything. And having lost my dad at 12, I was thrown into a world of confusion. I didn't really know what I was doing anymore. I didn't know why I existed. And that was because it was the only one who saw me for so many reasons. So I grew up a tomboy and for so many reasons, I was on the margins in the bigger space, even within the family and all of that. I was just one strange being who is a lady, but then looks like a guy from childhood. And everybody's trying to mm-hmm. bend me, mold me, fix me, correct me to just be ladylike and all of that. It was only my dad I could sit with and really just share my heart. And then when I lost him, I crashed and I didn't have anybody to go to anymore. All I could remember very well is the resounding voices of people who told me I was useless. I would amount into nothing. I was good for nothing. I'm such a waste. Those are things that I could remember very well as at that point at 12, 13. And that's led me to thinking, contemplating suicide, which I did. I tried committing suicide twice. I did when I was between 14 and 16, i had tried it even early 12 years. I tried running in front of a moving vehicle. That's when I lost my dad because I was tired of leaving. I felt like he's gone. I should go. Nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody cares. I think that was not enough. The voices of the people never went silent. They were always saying something about me. always had something to say about how I look. And they always had something to say about me just being a child, which I had no control over it. And it wasn't my fault that I'm this way. But people never saw that. They just saw someone they could stone with words negative. And so this negativity dwelt in me for a very long time. And I hated myself. I hated leaving. I hated the fact that I was this person. I never believed I looked good. I never believed I would amount into anything. I never believed anything. So at 16, I ran away from home in the guise of going into the university. But I actually did get into the university the next year. But I pretty much ran away from home early enough. And and that was because I was tired. Then I thought that I would go into a world that was filled with joy. I felt like I was going into a world that was filled with acceptance. I was living in this euphoria in my head and now I'm free. But it was a direct opposite because I was young. I didn't have money. I didn't have nothing. And so I was thrown into a world of poverty. I was thrown into a world of hunger, homelessness. I had to struggle my way through everything you can think of. I experienced different kinds of assaults, insults, everything I ran away from that I thought was bad. I faced a hundred degree increase in the level of that pain when I went out, but I couldn't go back because I told myself I wanted to go and stay away from negativity and all of that. The turning points came anyways. It was not all sad. The turning point came when I gained admission into University. I was sending myself through to school looking very rough and tattered because I couldn't take care of myself, but I needed to go through school because I wanted to become something. I just wanted to tick that box and say, yes, I did it. Even though I was tired, I did something for myself. But still, honestly, my self-esteem was zero. My confidence was nothing to write home about. But interesting thing is even in this, my same shirt and same jean I would wear every day with my tattered bags and looking scruffy and not always well-kept and hungry sometimes. People would come to me and ask, Tony, what can I do in this situation, right? People would always come and ask questions like, Tony, I'm I'm in a difficult point in my life. What do you think I should do? Or they come to me and say, Tony, I do not understand this thing in class. Can you help me out with it? Just the fact that people could come to me in my nothingness and ask for my help made me feel like I was useful. For once, I felt valuable. For once, I was in a big church, a congregation with the Catholic church. And then they would come to me and say, we want you to lead these. We want you to manage these. I could do some instruments. So they needed me to play. And for once, I felt valuable. And that was a turning point for me. Even though my self-esteem and self-confidence and self-belief wasn't strong enough, I remember telling myself then that if I could pull myself out of this mess, I would spend my life helping others see the value in themselves and I'm going to do it as much as I can till the day I'm done. Till the day I I stop reading, I just want to show people that they are not what the society says they are. They are not the voices in their head. They are beyond all of that. They can be, they can do, they can become anything they so desire to become. That's
2: my journey. Wow, that is incredible. And as part of that, you created Durian, of course. So, Mm -hmm. could you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing with your team, the why? It's a connection from the conviction I had with
1: myself that if I can pull myself out, i would spend my time helping others like me feel better about themselves and do something. And that is what has led me to one, working within rural communities, because people in rural communities are often said to be poor, marginalized. They are those people who are according to the society, the people who are going through the height of poverty and all of that. So I felt so much connected with them because of the fact that they've been marginalized by the reason of where they belong in the division of land. Let me use, and I really want to work with people who feel that way and tell my story and show them it's possible. So that led me into rural communities in early 2016, 2015, 2016 led me into communities. And ever since then I didn't look back. It started as a journey of showing the women the possibilities of what they could do with urban waste. That was the first step I, I took because I fell in love with waste. So I've been told that I was a waste while I was growing up. And somewhere between my journey, I fell in love with waste. I started creating things out of any kind of waste or creating things out of nothing. I think my journey prepared me for that strength that I have now or the strength I have now. And so I was showing them that. But at some point, I, I started rethinking possibilities. And I was like, it cannot just be about me. It cannot just be about me, my own story. It's about we. And if I have the story, I'm sure there are other people who connect with it who would also want to join me on the journey. And that led me to thinking about building an organization. And yes, it's Durian today. And it's exactly the same drive, a few elements just to it here and there. So, you know, I started with urban waste, but right now what we do majorly is we show women in communities how to use their local resources and local waste for livelihoods. We don't go outside communities to empower communities. We use what communities do have to show them the possibilities of what they can do and how we can transform their dignity and their identity. In practice, when we go into communities, we look around to see what resources communities have that they think is not valuable, but is useful. In one community, it could be agri-waste, and a lot of communities have lots of agri-waste. Specifically in the communities that we've worked, we've seen a lot of cocoa, We've seen a lot of bamboos, we've seen a lot of banana waste a lot of farm waste. And so largely we work currently with a lot of women across different communities. We work currently across seven communities now. And we're showing the different women in groups to use their bamboo to make different crafts. They're making handcrafts. They're making tables, chairs, anything that we can think of that they can make out of bamboo. Then we brand it, create a cooperative with the women. They're selling to the larger market. The women who work with cocoa waste are using cocoa waste to make the African black soap which is one of the most organic soap I know because everything is made from just nature. Every aspect of the soap is made from nature and it's very good body soap. They're also making organic butter for the skin, mix of shea butter and other essential oils. We have a group that's using fabric waste to do different kinds of stuff. We have people in the agricultural value chain where they are using cassava to make cassava flakes. And from the cassava waste, we are turning it into feed for livestock on the farm. All the systems that we're creating in communities are one that celebrates eco-friendliness, but also the system of secularity, right? So one waste feeding to another value, and then it just goes round and round. But very importantly... The women are becoming agents of change in their community, and they are beginning to see themselves as people of value. They are having a new identity. They are feeling more valuable. We are really indirectly breaking the tradition that says that a woman should sit at home and do nothing. In, in rural communities, because there are a lot of tradition in communities that really bench the woman and makes her feel voiceless. But the system we've created and the platform we've created for women to come out and do something and end from it is changing the narrative within all the communities that we've been. So far, we have reached over 26,000 people across all the communities using different programs using different strategies. We work we around different things to engage people in communities to drive conversations. And then from the 26,000 people, we have different people who are then working across in the craft sector, either in the value chain of bringing the waste to the facility where the women are producing or in the value chain of selling the products and all of that. So we are connecting communities together, but then they are also becoming drivers of change and women with voices in communities.
2: Wow. That is just a huge, I'm lost for words at how much you have accomplished with your team across Nigeria. That's incredible. And Thank you. As a powerhouse female leader in Nigeria, what are some of the, the challenges and opportunities that you see?
1: Hmm. For me, the
2: challenges are the opportunities. That's the way I see yeah. it. Right? Because...
1: The challenges are, are a lot more what we talk about generally and globally, the women, women not being represented in indoors and matters, women voices not being heard and all of that. But for me, again, it becomes the opportunities because it means that we have all the platform to break a lot of glass ceilings, right? And those are the opportunities I see every day, the opportunities to stand up for more women, the opportunities to represent rural women, very importantly, in and matters in conversations and matters, the opportunity to bring the stories of rural women to the forefront and show that the stories of rural communities are not just about poverty. The opportunities to tell the story of resilience, the story of hard work, the story of dignity, the story of a single mother who sends all her children through to school even in the difficulties as we would call it. Those are stories that I want to bring forward through the challenges that I face every day because without the challenges there wouldn't be a need to drive for that to say We need to get the scenes out there. We need to get the stories, the hard work, the the crafts, the communal life, the indigenousness of communities there wouldn't be a drive for that so for me the challenges even though they are there pretty much some of the common things we talk about when it has to do with women being marginalised and all of that and then being a young woman also you walk into a room and you realise that you are the youngest person in a room of people who are making decisions about maybe a, a guideline for a project that would happen in the next two years and you realise you're the youngest and nobody's listening to you because they're always attacking young people in this meeting young people are this young people are that young people are that and then again it gives us an opportunity to prove it differently.
2: The challenges are the opportunities and they walk side by side. Absolutely. What are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you feel are creating really powerful social change? So because I walk into the secular economy space, almost all the projects I see that I find
1: very inspiring are within the space. I was pretty much inspired by what TechSpot is doing in Uganda. They're using banana fibers to make fabric, and that is absolutely stunning for me because we have a lot of banana waste also here, banana stem. We have a lot with farmers here, and so I'm inspired by that. We're also looking forward to doing something like that here in Nigeria. I'm also inspired by the work of Ved Krishna. Iran's runs is an Indian-based company. What they do is convert sugarcane waste into sustainable products. So they create the slick plates and cups and all of that from the sugarcane waste which creates extra income for the farmers. I find all of this inspiring because it's really showing that something can be made out of nothing. And and maybe that's why it's very much inspiring for me.
2: Absolutely. So to finish off, what are some books or resources that you would recommend to our listeners? This year, I've had
1: to read a couple of books. And so maybe I just mentioned a few of them and... I hope it's going to be helpful to someone. If you're interested in learning about money, the psychology of wealth, it's by Dr. Charles Richards. It's a book. It gives a different perspective to money. It's not talking about money from money. It's talking about money from esteem and confidence and all of that, even though it has an history to read. If you're thinking about learning something about habits, the power of habits... Is a wonderful book by Charles Jouge. I hope I pronounced that well, but it's a very wonderful book about how you can change your habits and what you need to think about when you're changing habit. If you want to learn about marketing, I read this book by Seth Gordon. This is marketing. That's what it is. So it just breaks down marketing in the simplest form and you understand what you need to do and why you need to focus on the right things. I absolutely love this book because it gives a different perspective as the one I'm about to talk about now. It gives a different perspective to life and leadership. It's the book by Robin Sharma, The Leader Who Had No Title. I just love the book. For me, I find it deep because it shows a different aspect to leadership. Leadership becomes a lifestyle, not a title. For anybody who just wants to get a different perspective to leading without title, please that book works. If you're struggling to find out what you should do with life, understanding what your purpose is, Ikigai works well for me because it's a book I would always go back to read over and over again, understanding the Japanese thoughts process and all of that. So I recommend that. And then I'm also re- currently I'm reading the book of Michelle Obama, Becoming, which just shows the beautiful story of how she became who she is now. But I, I think her writing is absolutely interesting and incredible so far. For anyone who just wants to have a time reading something interesting and looking through her story, that book works. Aside from that, that, I, I would say for resources, Anything could absolutely become a resource. That's the way I think, right? So for instance, social media could become a resource. So sometimes it could just be a group on LinkedIn that would be very inspiring, right? It could be a Facebook group that would be inspiring. It could be conferences like attending the SEWF conference, either online, offline. It could be following World Economic Forum's posts, FAO. It could be anything that could be very inspiring. So most times what I say with regards to resources is know exactly what it is that you want to learn and find the resources around you or the groups around you, either on social media or social media, using websites that will make you connect with all the knowledge that you want to learn. This is a very common thought everybody says, right? That Google is one of the best schools you can be in. So keep Google closed because anything you want to know, you will find it on
2: Google or YouTube, anything. Thank you. Thank you. It's so wonderful to speak with you today. Tony. I hope we can connect very soon.
1: Yeah.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below. And remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.